0: Well, thank you to our worship team today. Hey, take your Bibles, Colossians chapter one. I started a sermon series um, uh, last time I preached a couple weeks ago on uh, the book of Colossians. We're going to do three different series as we go through the whole book of Colossians. And this is uh, first things first. Start here. Here are some things that Paul was trying to tell us about the Christian life, that these are the beginning steps. These are the beginning phases of the Christian life. And he was telling the Colossians church that You know, when you get started in the Christian life, here's some things you need to know right off the bat. And so I'm going to deal with those today and I'm actually going to jump ahead in verse in in chapter one and then we're going to go backwards uh, next week uh, uh, when we, when we go backwards uh, and pick up some beginning verses. But today I want to preach on this subject, uh, understatement of the world. Jesus is a big deal. That's what Paul was trying to tell the Colossians church in Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15, that that Jesus is the deal. Jesus is a big deal. I I know, uh, look, when you get started in the Christian life, that's kind of something you have to know. And I know, look, you're here today, man, you may have been saved a long time, you're like, preacher, I know that, I get that. But listen, that's not the world we're living in, right? The world we're living in does not and refuses to make a big deal about Jesus, right? You, you watch them on television. You, you know what they talk about on television? Uh, most of the time, whether it's an athlete, and I know we have some godly athletes, whether it's a Hollywood uh, person, whatever it may be, they talk about not Jesus, but a generic God, little G. And so they're fine talking about what God's done in their life, what God's put in their life. But what you'll never hear, never hear is somebody talking about Jesus. We hear a lot about a higher power, right? They'll talk about a higher power, but they won't talk about Jesus. We hear this. This is becoming the most popular statement in Hollywood among famous people right now is, well, I'm, relig- I'm spiritual, but not religious, and by the way, when we talk about these generic gods, uh, when we talk about the higher powers, when we talk about spirituality, they always lead with stuff like this. Well, uh, I believe that God, well, wait a minute, if he's God, you don't get to make up what he looks like or acts like or who he is. Because the truth is what this one believes about their God and what this one believes about their God are diametrically opposed to each other. So how do we sort all of that out? We sort all of that out because God, with a capital G, is Jesus. Paul's trying to tell us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So just turn your Bibles there, and I want to preach about Jesus for a little while. This morning, we'll get there in a moment. If I were to tell you to go to the internet and look something up, I would say you ought to go and what it? Google it. You know, that's actually not the right term. You know that, right? The actual right term would be search it. Why? Because Google is a brand name. We don't say go Yahoo it. Don't we don't say go duck duck-go it. We say go Google it. But Google is not the actual, it's not a verb, it's a noun. No, we've turned it into a verb. The actual term is search it. And so now Google is has reached rarefied air where it has become Uh, The brand name for the generic term, I'll give you another example where that's happened in the South at least, is the word Coke, right? We use the word Coke and it could mean Diet Coke, it could mean Sprite, it could mean a Dr. Pepper, it could mean a Mountain Dew, it never means Pepsi, never. I mean, you go to some of these towns, Pigeon Forge must be locked down. They must be getting a trillion dollars a year from Pepsi because you go in about every restaurant in Pigeon Forge and you're like, I'd like a Diet Coke. And they say, well, Diet Pepsi do? And I always, always say, no, it won't do. Go across the street, get a Diet Coke out of a vending machine at a stop and rob and bring it back. I want a Diet Coke. But we use Coke that way. Coke Coke has become the general form of all soda minus Pepsi, and Google has become that. We almost we almost, uh, the word Google is on, almost synonymous with the internet. Now there's a good reason why that is true because there are over 70,000 Google searches every second of every day. That's 227 million an hour and 5.4 billion a day. Not only that, Google is the most popular search engine and controls Ninety percent of the global search engine market. But get this: the second most popular is Bing, and they owe two point seven eight percent yahoo 1.6 you get the picture and over 90 percent it has over 246 unique u.s visitors that's more than 75 percent of the population and google is such a powerful entity that it can paint a picture of history and of our actual lives for example if you go back and look at the top 10 searches of 2020 watch this it'll paint a picture of 2020 what were the top 10 searches Number 10, Google Classroom, right? Why do we need that? Because everybody was at home. Uh, Number nine, Joe Biden, who became president. Number eight, coronavirus symptoms, because we all thought we had it at one point, those of us that didn't. Number seven, coronavirus update. Number six, India versus New Zealand. Does anybody have any idea what that's about? Soccer. Soccer, that's right. Number five, IPLs. Anybody know what that's about? soccer right Americans we like real sports like football and baseball right number four zoom because that's all we had to do number three was Kobe Bryant who passed away number two was election oh wow y'all probably forgot we had an election last year y'all remember that that's so uh, and number one guess what number one was coronavirus so here at Google it's a powerful search engine. And by the way, just this is one of the funniest stats I've ever read in my life. To show you Google's utter dominance, do you know what Bing, Bing is the second most popular search engine on the planet. Do you know what Bing's most search word of all time is? Google. Google. Because Google's where we go to find answers. Well, let me rephrase that. Google is where we go to find answers to stuff that probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I mean, if you go back and look at presidential election and soccer and coronavirus and all Zoom, everything on that list is going to pass away. Google can provide us Answers for all the things in life that uh, really for eternity's sake doesn't matter. But in the grand scheme of things, the the place and the perversion that provides our answers for life in eternity is one simple name and his name is Jesus. Do you know life begins and ends all about Jesus? That that life, we'll look at in just a moment, begins with Jesus. That life operates with Jesus. That life one day, hear me, will end with Jesus as the judge of all mankind and as the king of kings and lord of lords. The beginning, the middle, and the end is all about Jesus. And Paul's trying to tell us in the opening pages, verses of the book to Colossians, the letter to Colossians, that here's what you need to know first, that life is all about Jesus. He is a big deal. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it, and if you're watching online or at Rossful, it'll be on the screen, and if you're here and you don't have your Bibles, look in Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and by Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that Jesus might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Thank you, you may be seated. In the uh, Colossian church, there were several misconceptions about Jesus that Paul had to dive in beginning in verse 15 and correct so hang with me for a moment I just want to give you a little bit of background before I dive into the sermon there were false teachers in the Colossian church that taught that that believed that matter was evil And so they were teaching that God would not have come to earth in true bodily form because our bodies are evil. And Paul refuted that and stated that Christ is the image or the exact likeness of God himself. And yet he went to the cross as a human being. They they also believe that God did not create the world because the world was made of matter and matter was evil and so God would not have created evil. But Paul refuted that and Paul said that Jesus Christ, who is also God in the flesh, participated. He was the instigator of the creation of the world. They also taught that Christ was not the unique son of God, but rather, get this, one of many intermediaries between God and people. And Paul came along and said, no, that's not true. Jesus is before anything else. He is the firstborn of the resurrection. There are not many uh, uh, intermediaries between us and God. There is one. He's first above all. His name is Jesus. And then these people in the church refused to see Christ as the single source of salvation. Sounding much like people who talk about God today. They insisted that God could only be known through special and secret knowledge. And it always amazes me that people who think uh, God can only be known through special and secret knowledge, they all happen to have that special and secret knowledge. And Paul said, no, that's not true, that Paul proclaimed the only way of salvation is through Christ alone and Paul over and over again refuted their teachings and kept bringing the argument back to Jesus back to Jesus back to Jesus Paul kept saying no it's not about all this stuff you're talking about it is about Jesus Jesus is a big deal and he does it all through a hymn in verses 15 through 20 it's considered to be an ancient song as a matter of fact in your Bible it might have been indented because it was considered to be an ancient song Psalm that was broken down basically into two two sections. Section one was Christ's relation to the created world, and section two was Christ's relation to the redemption of what he created, that yes, God was a creator, but it fell into sin and Jesus had to redeem it. And so he was the creator and he was the redeemer of all mankind. And so Paul is trying to say everything is about God. Jesus so first things first know this Jesus is a big deal so I'm going to walk you through this passage this morning and I want to tell you four things and I'm going to preach a little differently than I normally do I want to give you four quick things that Paul tried to tell us about Jesus and I'm going to give you four implications of what he told us number one I want you to know this that Jesus is a person Look at what he said in verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Two important things emerge from this verse and the idea of the image of God and how it relates to the image. Now, you'll find this interesting. The word in the Greek for image is the word E-I-K-O-N. You pronounce it icon. And it's it's the transliteration of our word that we use the word icon today. The word icon in the Greek had a very specific meaning, but it always meant one of two things. And both meanings were always present, but one meaning dominated the other one. So when you use the word icon, it meant two things, but, but, but one always dominated the other. So number one was the idea of representation. You understand that. That the icon represented and symbolized what the object pictures. As a matter of fact, the word icon is used about 23 times in the New Testament. And if you, if you study the word, the first time it's used, remember when, when uh, people asked Jesus whether or not they should pay taxes? Man, I, for anything, I wish Jesus would have said no. I'd give anything if he just said no. But he didn't. Jesus said, Jesus said this. He picked up a coin. He said, whose image is on the coin. You remember that? The word image there is the word icon and it was used in a sense that meant, hey, it was a picture. It was a representation of Caesar. It was a picture of him. And so this icon of Caesar was a a representation of of caesar and so the bible tells us that jesus was in the image of god here's what that means when you saw jesus you saw a representation of god that jesus exactly symbolized god remember the apostle said show us the father and he said have i been with you so long that you've not recognized the father like i am the icon of god i am the represent you see me you see god representation but the second word that it meant was the word manifestation icon could mean that and when the term was employed it meant the symbol was more than the symbol that the symbol brought with it the actual presence of the object so in other words jesus completely represented god but also jesus was completely the manifestation of god he just wasn't a picture of him he was the actual person of god you, you kind of get the idea on your computer we we call them icons remember when you have a a program on your desktop and you you click on let's just say you have microsoft word on your desktop and it's the icon of microsoft word well well what, when you when you look at that icon that's not the actual Program, it's the representation of the program, but when you click on it, it becomes the actual program, the manifestation of Microsoft Word. So when you look at it, it looks like Word, but when you click on it, it becomes Word. It was the, it's the representation and it's the manifestation of Microsoft Word together. It both shows us Word and it works as Word. So here's what the Bible says about Jesus. It both shows us God and it actually was God. He is the representation of of god and he is the actual person of god and so here's what paul was trying to tell us that jesus is a person and that person is god now you have to get this right in the christian life when we talk about first things first you cannot be wrong on this one if you get this one wrong you misunderstand the entire christian life and by the way if you get this one wrong you'll never be saved See, so you can't be saved thinking what Jesus was a good person. You cannot be saved thinking Jesus was a great teacher. You cannot be saved thinking Jesus was a wise sage. You cannot be saved thinking Jesus was one of many ways to God. I mean, I, I, heard, I heard her say it myself. I was watching this show when Oprah said, Well, I believe in Jesus, and I just think he's one of the many paths to God. No. No. Hear me this morning. Jesus is a person, and that person he is, is God. So let me tell you what you need to know about the Christian life. You need to know that when Jesus says something, It is God who is saying it. You need to know when Jesus asks something of you, it is God who is asking something of you. You need to know when Jesus calls you to obedience, it is the God of the universe, the creator of all. Jesus is a person, and that person is God. Second thing Paul tried to tell us is this, is that Jesus has the power. For everything was created by him in heaven and earth. You know those verses, that verse. He, he was trying to tell us that he has the power and he was the, here's, here's what the verse tells us, that he is uh, before all things and by all things are held together. That, that Christ is before all things, that, that means two things. That means both in time and rank. Here's what it means. The word before, there's an interesting Greek word. It means that he existed before anything else existed, but it also means that he is in first place above everything else, that if you were to rank the 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 importance of everything that has ever been in existence, that Jesus ranks at the top. He was before everything and he ranks above everything. The verse tells us he's not only the creator of all, but he is the sustainer of all. He, he was before all things, he made all things, and yet all things are held together. By him. By by him, by Jesus, everything came to be. And by Jesus, everything continues to be. In him, everything is held together. Everything is protected. Everything is prevented from disintegrating into chaos. And when we look at the world we live in, the power behind all of this world is Jesus. The power behind your world is Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that there is nothing beyond his reach, that there is nothing beyond his knowledge, that there's nothing beyond his ability, that there's nothing beyond beyond his power that there's nothing beyond his scope he is omniscient he is omnipotent he has all the power this world is held together by jesus without him the sun doesn't rise in the morning without him the sun doesn't set without him the atmosphere doesn't exist without him the oceans would flood the land Without him, this world and this universe would disintegrate into chaos. But can I tell you, he not only holds the world together, you're, he also holds your world together. He has all the power. Number three, Paul told us this, that Jesus has a purpose. He is also the head of the body, the church. Boy, what a great phrase that is in the Bible. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. You know, the church is composed of many different types of people, right? Daniel said it earlier, you know, what what did he say when he was in the car? There were three different opinions when he was in his car and when there's two people in the car, it's six different opinions, you know, and everything. Like, that's the way it works, but we all come from a variety of backgrounds and we all have a multitude of gifts and a multitude of abilities. But we all have one in the church. We all have one unifying principle. And that is if you are part of the body of Christ, you got there by faith in Jesus Christ. That all believers are baptized by one Holy Spirit into one body of believers, and that one body of believers is the church. And by the way, when the Bible talks about the church, almost all of the time it's talking about the local church, the local body of Christ. The image of the word body there used here specifically and Paul used it extensively in the book of Corinthians. It shows the church's unity in Christ that each member is involved with all the other members as they go about doing Christ's work that he's called them to do on earth. So here's what that means that Jesus has a purpose and his purpose is the church and God has not saved you just to see it. God saves you and immediately baptizes you into the body of Christ that we call the church. Now listen, he's placed you there for two reasons. Hear me. He has a purpose. Did you know that God has a purpose he's fulfilling on earth by bringing as many people into the kingdom as will come? That's God's purpose. The reason this earth is still in existence, Peter tells us that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, the purpose of God is so that as many people as will come to faith in Jesus will come. He's not willing that any should perish. He has a purpose. But number two, can I tell you this? You have a purpose. That's why the church exists. That you have a part in God's divine purpose here on earth. That your life is not random. That God has something big going on and he wants you to be a part of his purpose. Can I tell you that, that where you live and where you work and who you interact with and, and the family you have, can I tell you that, that your interactions on a daily basis are not random or by accident? That God is orchestrating your life, that if you are a believer, that he has a purpose for you to be lived out for the glory of God. And that God has placed you in this church, P. Von Baptist Church, so because you have a purpose to be li- lived out as part of the church. Listen, not a person in this room has been saved in order to sit and watch the show. And the show's good, right? I mean, preaching can't get any better than this. Like, the preaching is awesome. Music is great. You've not been saved to watch the show. You've been saved for a divine purpose. Number four, Paul tells us that God has a plan. Verses 19 and 20 close it out. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So that whole, those two verses are all about the redemption plan of God. And here's what he's telling us about Jesus that there has been a grand plan going on the whole time. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now, my two-year Bible reading, and many of you are doing it too. I I started in November, so I'm ahead of some of you on, on some of it, and I hope you're enjoying my plan that I, I put together. It kind of gives you the weekends to get caught up if you if you were to skip a day or get behind. But man, when, when I'm when I'm reading through, I just finished the book of Joshua, and I'm I'm reading through the Bible, and I and I I've got all I've gotten all the way through Joshua, and even when I when I'm reading all of sometimes what's difficult to read, right? Is sometimes it's not that. Easy when I get there, but when I got to the end of Joshua, what struck me was there's been a grand plan going on the whole time. I can see how Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, I can see how all of that ties into the New Testament. God was orchestrating the plan. Man, this is so hard to imagine because God is eternal did you know that God exists both in the past and in the future and in the present all at the same time you say preacher how can that be don't spend a lot of time on it it'll mess with your mind a little bit but God is just as present in the old testament today as he is in the future today as he is in today today because time doesn't exist where God is And I don't understand all that either. Our human minds aren't meant to uh, understand that. But here's what I do understand, that when the world first fell into the darkness of sin, before the world was even created, that God knew exactly what was going to happen. And get this, he had a plan from the very beginning. And by the way, his plan was not the Big Bang. God had a plan of creation. God had a plan of perfection. He had a plan of redemption that we're living out today. And he had a plan of restoration that we'll see one day. The cross, the resurrection, the soon coming of Jesus are not afterthoughts of Jesus. They are all part of the divine plan of Jesus. And here's what Paul told us, that Jesus is a person who has all the power, who has a purpose, and he has a plan. So, what does that mean for me and you? Let me give you four things that means for us. Number one, it means he wants a relationship with you. See, the reason Jesus came as a person was so he could relate to mankind. The reason he didn't come as God is because we could not stand in his presence. And so the only way for us to see him in his presence was he zipped himself up in the skin of humanity so he could relate to you. He related to us, number one, in salvation, right? It starts there, that God gave his life as a man, as God himself, so that you and I could be saved. But he died on the cross because he wants a relationship with you. Listen, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, know this, he died just for you but it also manifests itself in our daily living that Jesus wants to be with you in relationship in every aspect of your life. Can I ask you a question this morning? How much time have you invested in your relationship with Jesus if you're a believer? Believer? He became your savior so he could become your friend. And whoever you are today, hear me, Jesus wants a relationship with you. And can I tell you this, the great news about the cross, it doesn't matter where you are or what you've done or what you are doing, all can be forgiven if you come to him. Please don't buy the lie that you need to clean your life up first before you become a Christian. Not true. Lie of the devil. You, you, You don't come... You don't clean your life up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, he'll fix your life. And he wants a relationship with you so much that God became in human form so he could die for you and then live with you every day of your life. Number one, he wants a relationship with you. Number two, you, you have a friend. You say, preacher, how does this work? Well, the reason Paul told us that Jesus had all the power Is that if he has all the power, get this, that means all my problems need to go to him. Are you sick today? God created these bodies. He's the great physician. Take your problem to him. Are you discouraged? He's the great encourager. Are you full of anxiety? The Bible tells us he is the prince of peace. Do you need a miracle in your life? I've got good news. He is the miracle worker. He is the source of all things in life. And so whatever your problem is, hear me today. Take it to Jesus. Why do we do everything and go to everybody but Jesus? We'll tell our co workers about our problems. We'll tell our family about our problems. We'll gripe and whine about our problems. All the while, Jesus is saying, Hey, I want to be your friend. I'll, I'll, I'll give you peace everybody else can't give you. They can't get rid of your anxiety, but I can. They can't take care of your problem, but I can. They can't walk you through this difficulty, but I can. Number three, we learn this you're on a mission that you're partnering with God for the grand mission of building his kingdom, your purpose revolves around his church. Again, that means you are not saved to see it, but God has a purpose for you. And number four, it means you have a decision to make. God's had had a grand plan, and here's the question this morning. Are you going to stand before him with empty hands. Too many Christians have the idea. Listen. This is so wrong. Hear me. Too many Christians have the idea. Well, if you don't do their part. Then God is God. He'll make it happen anyway. Absolutely not true. No evidence in the Bible of that whatsoever. God is absolutely so- sovereign. But if that were true. Everybody would be saved. The reason everybody is not saved in the world. Is because people have not done the part. That God has called them to do and that means this morning you have a decision to make that you are part of God's divine redemptive plan if you don't do it it doesn't get done and God is God but he has designed the plan get this for you to be a stakeholder in his plan the fact is you could be the key to the kingdom you could be the key to this church experiencing revival you could be the key to your family being saved, your friends being saved, your coworkers being saved, getting their hearts right. You. you could be the key. You have a decision to make. Are you going to stand before God empty-handed or not? Close your Bibles and I'm finished. I don't know if you've ever heard of this poem. Follow it with me. For one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of a horse, the rider was lost. For one of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost, all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Benjamin Franklin included a version of this proverb preceded by the words, A little neglect may breed great mischief, in poor Richard's Almanac in 1758. When the American colonies were at odd with the English parliament. It became famous in American lore. During World War II, it was framed and Hung on the wall of the American supply headquarters in London to remind everyone that the importance of seemingly trivial repair parts and inventory replenished the kingdom was lost for the want of a nail. Meaning that if you neglect your little part, all could be lost. The bloody, it was played out. In the Civil War, the bloodiest day in American history, September 17th, 1862, the Battle of Antietam or or Sharpsburg, 23,000 casualties, September 17th. On September 9th, about a week before, after crossing the Potomac River into Maryland, Confederate General Robert E. Lee divided his 45,000-man army of Northern Virginia, and he spelled out the location for each group on written dispatches. It was called Special Order 191. And it was supposed to be delivered to various commanders and they were going to surround the north. They were delivered on horseback by couriers. And they all made it to their final destination except for one that was accidentally dropped from the courier's pocket. And this is just history. When he got off his horse to use the bathroom, he dropped a special dispatch out of his pocket by fence post. Unfortunately for General Lee, it was found by a Union soldier just a couple of days later, wrapped in three cigars near a fence post. And that secret dispatch reached the Union Army commander, George McClellan, giving him and his 90,000 man army the exact locations of the enemy which led to a union victory. All for the want of a rider. All for the want of a message. Or as Franklin would say, all for the want of a nail. One man didn't do his part. And 23,000 people died. The Battle of Antietam. Stand with me across the room. Here are the questions I have for you this morning. Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Are you 100% sure that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home? Our staff's going to be here at the Next Step stations up front. And if you're here today and don't know Jesus as your Savior, hate. You can know in five minutes. They'll pray with you. They'll answer the questions you may have. You come forward. But let me ask believers here this morning. What, what problems or anxieties do you need to carry to Jesus today? He is your friend. You have a friend. I'll be honest. I, I have some. I, I, listen, I, y'all going to be shocked at this. I buy into my own sermons. You remember a few weeks ago? It's been weeks and weeks ago now. I said that when you pray, you ought to have the impossible and the improbable and take it to Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, I've got some burdens in my heart that are the impossible and the improbable. And I pray those to Jesus. And I go to him and I say, Jesus, this is near impossible. But it's, it's the burden of my heart. Some of you got some of those today. You have a friend in Jesus. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you a mission for God? Hey, you're watching online. At Rossville, are you on mission for God? God didn't just save us so we could sit and watch a church service. God saved us so we could plug into the body of Christ and make it a priority. Are you going to stand before God empty empty handed? That is your decision to make. Jesus is a big deal. The question is, is he a big deal to you? Hey, if you're watching online, I'm going to throw it to Jeremy and he's got some words for you. But if you're in the room, Rossville, would you bow your heads and close your
1: eyes? Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that awesome message. What a simple yet so profound of a truth Pastor Joel preached this morning. And uh, Jesus is everything. He's everything for you and he's everything for me. And he wants a relationship with us. He wants to be our friend. He wants to put us on mission but the choice is ours and if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus there's no better time than today to make him the Lord and Savior of your life it begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and you've broken God's law God wasn't willing to be separated from you and I by sin so he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins Jesus died he was buried and on the third day he rose again conquering sin death and hell for you and for me. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning and you need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, tell God this, it's not the words that you say, but it's what you mean, it's what you intend in your heart that makes you a follower of Jesus and makes him the Lord and Savior of your life. Tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again. Right now, I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my heart, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time and you meant it, we want to connect with you we want to celebrate the decision that you made today and so uh, we've dropped a link in the chat box that says i commit my life to christ you can click on that link it's going to ask you three short questions you can fill that out we'd love to connect with you and send you a book in the mail that'll help you on your faith journey with jesus you can also um, text me personally at 706-406 8100. I'd love to connect with you uh, after the service is over this morning. God bless you. I've enjoyed our time together. I can't wait to see you next week. Have a great week.